Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. Now the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, there's a common question on, on many people's minds um, when it comes to God and when it comes to Christianity, especially when someone's coming to the faith or trying to understand God. Um, just recently I was talking to uh, a young man who's atheist and we had a, a good conversation and one of the biggest things or issues pressing on his mind when I said to him, like, what is it that's stopping? Like, what, what, what needs to happen? Where's the little, where's the missing piece? And he said to me, Abuna, how can a good God allow bad things to happen? And, and he just couldn't get his mind around it. And that, that was a conversation that we had. But reading this particular gospel account, it really reminds me of, of a good answer to that question. Um, the happenings of today um, in the gospel we read was um, from the events of Lazarus Saturday, which we read, as you know, at the beginning of every Passion Week, between, sandwiched between the last Friday of Lent and Palm Sunday. And, and it's a very common and very popular and beautiful story that we all know and love and, and really reveals to us a lot of beautiful insights. Um, and the outcome is so beautiful. But sometimes, because we've read it so often, we get desensitized to the journey. And so I just wanted to harp on a few little things, just a few points to summarize, so that we can hopefully appreciate what Mary and Martha and the people at the time actually went through, and somehow maybe hopefully relate it to ourselves. And so, as you know, St. John wrote this gospel maybe 70 years roughly after the events had happened. And so he insists, because people may have forgotten, it's been seven years, a few decades, and so he insists on saying, a lot of details that will really make, make a big difference for us when we, when we um, focus on them. Verse 3, for example, it says, The sisters sent to Jesus, him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I really, really love this, this petition. It's so beautiful. It doesn't say that, like in their prayer, because these are saints, these are people that ultimately got, you know, their prayers were, were answered. And so it can teach us how our prayers can be answered. When they approached the Lord with their petition, they didn't say, God, we need you to heal him in this way, at this time, um, and, and not without these certain things being fulfilled. They didn't give the Lord tick boxes that he had to fulfill. They presented the Lord with their problem. Their problem is, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They didn't give him a time frame. They didn't tell him how. They didn't tell him what. They left everything else up to him. Why? Because he's God. He knows best. And, and how beautiful it will be in our own prayers if we can adopt that. You know, many times we come to God and say, God, I lost my job, you need to get me this job. Or I need this promotion. Or I need to get married to this person. Make this person my soulmate. Make, you know, Abuna say this to me. Or make this person say that to me. Or whatever it may be. And, and if it's not done in that way, then we get upset at God. And God hasn't answered my prayer. So I think sometimes it's beautiful to not confine the Lord in, in, in an answer or how to answer the prayer. And I love their confidence. He whom you love, they know. They know that you love him, God. Um, and, and, and the beautiful thing is, 
how beautiful it will be when we pray in our own personal prayers that we have the confidence when we're speaking to God, God, I know you love me. I know it. No matter what I've done, no matter what my history is, no matter how bad or how too far I've gone, it's never too far. God, I know that any time I come to you, when I speak to you, you look at me with love, unconditional love. Not conditional based on what I've done or thinking, but accept me as, as, as I am because you love me because of my identity and my identity is that I'm your son or I'm your daughter. Not because of my actions or, or the terrible things I may or may not have done or the sins that I'm struggling with. And so we approach the Lord, leaving everything in his hands and approaching him in confidence that the person looking at us, God, loves us, loves us dearly. And so, um, and, and then St. John insists on verse 5 to remind us again and say, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why is St. John insisting on writing this verse? To prepare us for the next verse where he says, so... When he heard that he was sick, I want to pause there for a second. So St. John's saying, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so, or therefore, when he heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, dot, dot, dot. What would you and I expect the rest of that sentence or that verse to be? It's God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He has the power, willingness, and ability to do everything and anything. And he loves this family. Lazarus, Martha, Mary. In fact, every time he went to Bethany, he would stay with them. He was very, very close to them. They didn't even need to say, Lazarus is sick. He who you love is sick. They already know. He's loved. It's a known thing. So if Jesus loves these people to this extent, and he knows that they're sick, or he, that, that Lazarus is sick, and he has the ability to help, what would you and I expect the rest of this verse to say? So then Jesus quickly ran to his loved one and healed him. Or like a few chapters ago in John chapter 4, the nobleman's um, um, servant, where the Lord didn't even need to go. He just said, your, your servant is healed. And in that hour, they were healed. You didn't need to be there. You're God. And so in our rationale, in our logic, that is what makes sense. It stands to reason that that would be the, next, the, the end part of that sentence. And yet, we hear in verse 6, so, you know, in verse 5, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Yeah. Just keep doing what you're doing. Ignore, almost, almost ignoring that, that, that it even happened. Blotting that whole thing out. God, what are you doing? Jesus, the person you love who's sick, why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you getting up? At least make your way there. Do something. And so it seems very confusing. And then after two days, Jesus says to his disciples, okay, now let's go to Judea. And the disciples are confused like anything. And they're saying, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Why are we going now? Oh, because Lazarus is sick. But, but we could have gone two days ago. This doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Do you know what you're doing? And, and by the way, just to remind you, the people in Judea, they were going to stone you last time. We're your mates. They might not have the best of aim. We might get collateral damage with some of the rocks there. Do we really have to go? Can't you just heal them or do whatever? And then Jesus says, well, he's sleeping. And so they say, well, if he's sleeping, what are we, his alarm clock? We're going to go on a, you know, 
one-day journey, 12 hours or six hours of walking in heat to a dangerous area which is scary. Judea is dark and terrible and evil things are there. Jesus, why? Why do we have to do any of these things? None of this makes sense. And so I love how the Lord responds in, in the way that he normally does whenever we're confused and have no idea about anything. They say, why are we going to Judea? And he says, are oh, they not 12 hours in the day? Makes complete logical sense. Has nothing to do with anything, right? And, and, and Jesus is constantly trying to elevate our mindset to heaven. Whenever we're confused with our problems on earth, the Lord is always raising our mindset up to his. Yes, he's saying that Lazarus is sleeping. Yes, Judea is a terrible place. It's evil. It's dark. But hey, think about who's walking with you to Judea. Think about who's holding your hand throughout this journey. And he says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. Whatever problem that you think you have in Judea, I can fix. Whatever problem you and I have in our own lives, and I, I promise you we all have problems, every single one of us, without fail. Despite what social media, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever shows us, all the perfect things in other people's lives, every single one of those people, ourselves included, have big problems in our lives. Major ones. And so... The, the thing is, the Lord is saying to us today, the church is reminding us today that we need to be thinking about heaven. Yes, we're going through problems, but it's not the problem that's the problem, <laughs> if that makes sense. It's not the problem that's the issue. The issue is not how big the problem is, but how big God is. And God is above any of these problems. In the Psalms, it says the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. At the voice of the name of the Lord, all these problems go away. King David time and time again says that in Psalms. Read Psalm 119, 22 stanzas. Every single one of them has something comforting for you. If you're ever feeling upset or sad or, or hopeless. And so the Lord says, our, our friend Lazarus sleeps. We're going to go to wake him up. The disciples have no idea how this makes any sense. But the Lord tells them in his lovely, beautiful logic, are there not 12 hours in the day? I'm with you. We're walking in the light and I'm the light. Let's go into however dark this place is. It doesn't matter. Because as soon as you get light, no matter how dark of a room it is, no matter how terrible problems in your life are, or in my life are, when we have a shine a light or a torch in that room, there will be light. I was on a plane recently, and um, on the way back, it was an overnight um, uh, travel, and I, I, I got up and, and I got something to eat, whatever, and I came back into our cabin, and it was, it was very bright. I thought it was, it was sunny. It was, it was daytime. It was, it was night when I was going. I didn't think I was gone for that long. But then when I looked carefully, I realized that all the windows were shut, except for one. One tiny window in the cabin, or, or shutter, was, was half open. And that amount of light that went through there was enough to light the whole plane and make it look like it's still daytime. And so that's exactly what happens in our life. Even if, if we just introduce Christ in our life, just a little bit, your whole life will light up. You will have that confidence, you will have that blessing, you will have that, that, that ability to know that the Lord is there and be reminded by that and get through any problem, whatever it may be. And so it's really beautiful how the rest of the story pans out, as you know, um, and they end up going. And, and it's crazy how the Lord finally says to them, you know, Jesus says, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad. 
Only God can say that. Only Jesus can say those two words, those two sentences, one after the other. He says, I'm glad because the Lord is seeing them, like God is above time. And he is seeing the happiness and the joy because he knows what he's about to do. He knows that Lazarus is going to raise. He knows that they're all going to be celebrating with Lazarus and enjoying in, a, in only a few days' time. And they're going to be having a party and, and having joy and everything. He sees through the misery and the terribleness. But he, he says, I'm glad because I can see the joy that you're going to have. And you think, well, God, but you love these people. Why are you allowing them to go through such terrible things? And, and the answer to that, just very quickly for the sake of time, is that, number one, don't ever think that the Lord is leaving you on your own. The Lord, what's confusing is that when he finally gets to Bethany, and he goes to the grave of Lazarus. He knows what he's about to do. He's Jesus. And yet despite that, it says in verse 33, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Can you imagine? The creator of heaven and earth, the universe, was troubled, groaned in the spirit. He, he, he wept. He shares in, not troubled because he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's troubled because he's upset for the sake of his creation, his people that who he loves. He's so sad that they're going through sadness. He's sharing in their sadness. But he knows and he allows this and permits this to happen because he knows what's going to happen at the end of the tunnel. He knows how much joy there will be. So much joy, in fact, that it will overcome and surpass any problems that, that they, they're going through at the moment. And it says, he, and, and St. John insists and says, Jesus again groaned within himself. So it, it's, it's definitely something that the Lord isn't just sitting there going, yeah, you'll be right. He's extremely merciful, extremely empathetic, extremely loving. And if you think about it, if the Lord had just, from the beginning, when they asked him, the one who you love is, is sick, went there and healed him, this miracle would have been a great miracle, but it would have been lost amongst thousands of other miracles that the Lord healed someone's sickness or eyes or walked or whatever it may be. But because the Lord delayed, because he allowed Lazarus to die, this miracle is much, much greater than any other healing miracle Jesus would have done for him while Lazarus was still alive. In hindsight, everyone's a genius. By delaying, the Lord actually strengthens our faith. Sometimes we can get frustrated at God. We can be very impatient. But I guess the important thing is, and it's easier said than done, while we're going through whatever problem we're going through, the important thing is to know that God loves us. Number one, foundation cornerstone. God loves you unconditionally. And he's prepared to see you upset, even though it hurts him, even though it upsets him, when he knows that in the end you'll be much, 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 much happier. And there's so many biblical examples of this. Joseph, you know, for 15 years was in prison from about 15 to 30, did all the right things. How can I do this great evil in front of God? Was loyal to the Lord and everything. At 30, finally is when he's rewarded earthly and becomes the second highest in command of all of Egypt. And for the next 80 years, he is the second in command of all of Egypt. So much so, living in so much luxury and comfort, that his two children that he has, his sons, the first one he calls Manasseh, which comes from the word Ensa. I've forgotten my misery, the 15 years of, of garbage that I went through. And his next son, Ephraim, comes from the word Ephrah. I'm so happy and joyful. You and I speak to Joseph in heaven one day and go to him and say, if you can go back in time and have it any other way, those 15 years of misery, you doing the right thing and getting punished for it, 
Would you have it any other way? And can you imagine Joseph in heaven saying, what would he say? Of course not. If I could go back in time and have authority to do anything else, I would keep it in the exact same way that it happened. Hindsight, we're all geniuses. King David shows valiance, shows strength, shows courage in front of Goliath, you know, beats this champion and, and, and gives courage to the people of Israel. And then Saul gets jealous, hunts him down, chases him to the point where he wants to kill him, to the point where David has to leave Israel. He has to go to his enemies, live with them, pretend to be a crazy person in complete humiliation. Why God? Why are you allowing this to your servant? What has he done wrong? And God responds and says, I'm humbling him. I'm preparing him because I've got something much, much bigger and greater for him. He's going to look after the throne of my people. He will be my people's king. He will be their leader. I'm preparing him for that. What a, and, and, and there's so many others. The three saintly youth, Daniel on the lion's den, Ruth and Naomi. All these stories of things that were happening terrible, one thing after the other. But in hindsight, when we put all the pieces together that God has planned, things are out of this world. How many times in our lives do things happen which we don't understand? Where we question God's logic, where we say to him like Martha, but God, you don't understand, there's a stench. If I go into that, into that area, it's stinky, it's smelly, Lazarus has been dead for four days. You don't understand, Jesus. And so many times, like the disciples, we say, well, if he's sleeping, if this problem's happening, I guess, why didn't you fix it the other way two days ago? Why didn't you, well, if he's just going to wake him up, we're going to go through all of that just to wake the guy up. Why don't you just wake him up now? Why don't you just heal him now? So many times, but we need to remind ourselves, God loves you unconditionally. And he's a very, very compassionate God. In fact, in Lamentations, and I'll finish on this, he says, it says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. God loves you. He cares about you and he struggles to see you being sad. He struggles to see you being upset. But sometimes he allows things and permits things to happen so that we can be closer to him. So that we can use it as an opportunity to get closer to him, to love him, to pray a bit more, to wake us up, whatever it may be, because God cares about the long-term gain. The final thing is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and this is a great miracle. But the reality is Lazarus then died again at some point. We know the history books and everything, right? And so the biggest miracle and the bigger, um, more powerful miracle is really us resurrecting from our sins. When we have a sin that we're drowning in and the Lord, through his grace, through his blessings, through his mercies, through his love, helps us overcome these and we struggle through this, then we receive eternal life. It's not just a resurrection of our body, but it's a resurrection of our spirit, a resurrection of our soul. And from that, we can live eternally with the Lord. May the Lord really give us this ability to think and to understand and to know that God loves you and that he is compassionate and that he wants things to be perfect in your life so that when I'm going through problems, not if, but when, I cling to him more. I rely on him more knowing in confidence that he loves me, he has compassion on me, and his mercies are always going to be renewed and that in the big scheme of things, it will get me somehow, this tribulation is going to get me closer to him spiritually and in eternity so that I can be with him forevermore and glory be to God forevermore. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. 
and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.